The message you are about to hear is from the stable of the Capstone Church Without Walls. So let me start by saying that I'm going to be talking tonight on what I what do we call it the season of the Gentiles. I want to tag what I'm sharing with you tonight, the season of the Gentiles. If there is a season of the Gentiles, then there must surely be the seasons of the Jews. Hallelujah. And uh, there are one of two nations in the world. You need to understand it when we talk spiritually or supernaturally. There is the world of the Jews and there is the world of the Gentiles. The Jews are those who are of the stock of David, who are of the stock of Israel, by covenant, or those who lay claim to the Abrahamic covenant through Isaac, through whom David came and then through whom Christ Jesus the King of our salvation came. Now that's one nation. That is one nation. And that is the nation of the Jews. And there are the, or the other nation, the nation of the Gentiles. The Gentiles are everyone or anyone who cannot lay claim to being a Jew, which means Africans, South Africans, Europeans, uh, Eastern, Middle Easterners, Arabians, everybody all over the world that is non-Jew is regarded as Gentiles. So I want us to look tonight, what does the scripture say to us about the season of the Gentiles? It's interesting to know that the Gentile nation, uh, I don't want to even say, I mean, how many times multiplicity of the Jewish nation is Gentile nation? The Jews, the Jewish nation, if I'm not, not even, they're just about the whole of Israel, and not even everyone that, is of, that lives in Israel is a Jew. The whole of Israel, as we speak right now, is just about 8 million. Of course, okay, there are Jews in Germany, there are Jews in the U.S., there are Jews all over the world. But really, the, the population of the Jewish nation is, let, let's just put it at 9 million. Now, the population of the world is inching towards, I think, 7 or 8 billion right now. If I'm, I mean, it just, with, with nations like Nigeria, it just keeps increasing. Because we just give birth anyhow. Is that correct? And a lot like that. So, clearly, we'll see that even the majority of people who live on the planet Earth are what you call the Gentiles. So, tonight, I want us to look from the pages of the Word of God what it means when God says, talks about the Gentiles or what I have called the season of the Gentiles. Amen. Praise the Lord. And I like to use the word, the scripture used actually is a word which is which is which is translated season and that is the word kairos the kairos of the gentiles the times of the gentiles or the season of the gentiles amen and for your information in case i don't get to say to that when we talk about the gentiles we're talking about you and myself praise the lord so god is saying that this is the season of the gentiles is there going to be any time that will be the season of the jews we want to find out. Has there been a time when there was a sin of the Jews? Yes, there was. Jesus Christ said, I have not come to everyone. I have come to the house of Israel, to the house of Abraham. If I told the disciple, he said, go, do not go anywhere. He said, go to those who are of the household of Abraham. So that was the moment, all the time of the patriarchs, all the time of the Mosaic law, all the time and the seizing of the prophets all the time and the season of the book of Matthew, that was the moment of what we call the season of the Jews. Up until when Christ Jesus rose, sorry, uh, died on the cross and rose from the grave. The moment Jesus Christ rose from the grave, there was something switched in the plan of God. That moment when Jesus died on the cross and rose the third day for our justification made Made, made us included in God's plan. Amen. Practically. So it is by his death and resurrection that the Gentiles, and talking about you and myself, have been opportunity to be included in the commonwealth or in the covenant of God. And that's a beautiful thing. Praise the name of Jesus. Alright, now, so now that we're talking about God haven't opened the, the doorway or the floodgates to the Gentiles to come in now that Christ has died and Christ has resurrected from the grave and Christ has risen up to, he- to, 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 to heaven and is now, scripture says, is now interceding for you and myself. Scripture actually says in the book of Timothy, it says there is only one mediator between God and
and mankind, even the man Christ Jesus. So Jesus Christ right now is glorified and is now seated in the heavenly places, far above principles and powers. Beautiful thing about it is that having been born again by his blood, we now also have been included in that privilege and right, and we are now seated with him. Amen? So we are joined here with him. I want you to please take note of what I'm using. I'm deliberately using words and phrases. We are joined heirs with him and we are heirs of the Father. What that means is everything that is the inheritance of Jesus, the Son, is what is my inheritance. And we need to recognize that and claim it, lay claim to it, and no, have, give no um, apologies for it. Amen. Because scripture again also says, as he is, so we are in the world. Now I'm going to try and give you a bit of insight into the scriptures tonight and I feel it's, in my, it's important for me to say this that as I share this tonight a lot of these things tonight I share it with utmost humility of heart even though there's going to be a lot of breaking the seal of the word of God tonight as always I want to let you know that my intention is not in any way to impress you my intention is to open to you the vistas of the mind of God as contained in his word as regards those of us who have been called Gentiles. One of the things I also believe the Holy Ghost to help me to do is to be able to see, having been Gentiles and been saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus, what are our responsibilities since we recognize that it is the season of the Gentiles. Amen. Hallelujah. And now that it is the season of Gentiles, is there going to be a time when the Jews will have their shot again at salvation? Yes, there will be. But right now as we speak, it is the season of the Gentiles. Praise the name of Jesus. And while that window is open, it becomes important for us to maximize the season, to take hold of the season and maximize the season in which we are living in, which basically means it becomes our responsibility to get as many Gentiles as possible into the same salvation that Christ has made available for us. Amen. I was going to do it, sing a song, lead to sing a song, but... I would I probably not sing it. It's a Yoruba song. Remembering that song today made me realize how much impact the Word of God has on children. I remember that I was passing by, I think, a church back in those days. I think I was probably about seven or eight years old. And then I heard this song. And I think they sang it for just probably about three, four, five minutes. And then it just talked into my spirit. Praise God. It's talking to my spirit as an unbeliever. Amen. It's a, it's a church song. It's talking to my spirit as an unbelieving young child. And even right now, it's still echoing in my spirit. And as I prayed and as I prepared for this meeting, it just came so rushing again. And I wrote it down. If I have the opportunity, I will, I will share it with you. But let's focus on what um, we have tonight. All right. Let's look at some scriptures so that we can build something. The book of First Peter chapter 1, verse 1 to 13. So what I'm trying to say in a nutshell is I take this meeting very seriously. I take everyone who is listening to this meeting or who is in this place very, very seriously. I teach you with utmost respect and I take your participation or attendance as very, very sacrosanct to what God wants to do. Amen. Including the youngest person listening to me today. I recognize that God, by his word, can change and influence every, every being because we are all spirit beings. I've said it before. There is no six-year-old spirit. There is no it's a five-year-old spirit, Holy Spirit. There is only one Holy Spirit. And there is only one spirit of man. The spirit of man is ageless. Your body can fall off at age 70, or it can fall off at 35 if you don't take care of it well. But your spirit never falls off. Your spirit, whether you are two years old, or you are 20 years old, or you are 100 years old, you are a spirit being. And your spirit can respond to the word of God. And that's why... I keep teaching every Wednesday as if this whole place is full of people who are very old. I recognize that I'm speaking to spirits and I'm speaking the spirit word to spirit beings. And so there's going to be a connection, praise the name of Jesus. And so I expect that probably the next 30 years or 40 years, it's a six-year-old who is in this meeting tonight will remember what I'm about to share with you. Amen. Now that's the way we think in the kingdom. It's called kingdom of God. Amen. It's called the spirit life. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Alright, let's go to our scripture. First Peter chapter 1 from verse 1 to 13. And I want you to please listen clearly a little bit. I'm going to try and be systematic and clear as I can tonight. 
Amen. Of course, as always, I try to be as clear with the word of God as always. But tonight I'm going to have to take some extra caution because we need to deal with some things. We're talking about the season of the Gentiles. All right. So Peter, the apostle, wrote this to people. He says, Peter, from verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, writing to God's elect. Now that's the name the Bible calls those who are born again. God's elect. Amen. Or those who are in covenant with Jesus. It says, strangers in the world. That's who we are. We are strangers in the world. It says, scattered throughout the Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, these are countries, or these are cities, okay, Gentile cities. And it says, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And it says, this has been done by sprinkling by his blood. So what has brought us the sanctification, what has brought us into God's plan for us is the blood of Jesus that he shed. It's the reason why we say to people, for you to come into the covenant with God, you have to come not by your own righteousness, but by the shed blood of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Amen. It says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. And we thank God very much for that. In verse 2, verse 3, is it verse 3 now? It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is a very important fact and principle that we all have to embrace. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave is what has been the precursor for our salvation. Our salvation is hinged on the sprinkled blood of Jesus, which he gave to us when he hung on the cross and he rose again, giving us our redemption. Amen. Bible says, into an inheritance that can never perish. Which basically means that what we come into when we come into the new birth is something that can never be destroyed. Everything in the world will expire and, and go off. Good clothes will wear out. Beautiful houses will break down and come. The best of things, the most beautiful of life will grow old and fall down and wither away like a grass. But the spirit of God in the spirit of man can never perish. Hallelujah. And that's why we keep saying that the greatest blessing or the greatest gift you can give to anyone is to reconnect, is to help them reconnect their spirit with the spirit of God. Because when you do that, then you give them what Bible calls an undying life. You give them access into an undying life. Bible says it's an inheritance that can never perish, that can never spoil, that can never fade. And this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Verse 5, please. I'm just trying to let us understand what we have come into when we, get, when we have the new birth. It says, Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. The salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice. In this salvation, you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief. In all kinds of trials. And we spoke about this. Uh, we, I, I, I try to target um, failures or, or falterings or mistakes in life or trials or temptations. They are part of the process. They are part of the things that can make us into what God wants us to be. Scripture says, now these have come, these trials have come, so that your faith of greater worth than gold. Your faith of greater worth than gold. Which perishes. I mean, gold perishes even though refined by fire. Do you understand that? It says that may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Hallelujah. So our faith has the capacity to outlast even the best of human resources, which is gold. Our faith, your faith, my faith, what we have come to receive through Christ, through the new birth, it is never dying, never perishing, never fading restored for us in heaven. The Bible says, though you have not seen Jesus, but you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. Is anybody here who believes in him tonight? Even though you have not seen him, yet you love him. Is, that, is, is anybody like here tonight? Yes, Amen. Even though you do not see him now, yet you believe in him, and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Now, it's the reason why there is supposed to be no dull moment for the child of God. For the child of God, your joy is always full. 
is always inexpressible. Why? Because it's not aimed on gold or on things. And thank God for gold, thank God for things that we use. But our joy is aimed on Him. Hallelujah. And if there's anybody here who has been putting his joy on his job, on his marriage, on his successful business, on his beautiful whatever it is, please, you need to refocus your joy. Let your joy be on Jesus. Amen. Because that's only when it becomes inexpressible and can never be counterfeit or stopped. He said, for you are receiving through your, express, through your joy the goal of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. Amen. That is the goal of our faith. The ultimate redemption of our physical body Amen. From this earth. And I want every believer to know that and to have that hope in them. It's one of the reasons why we also need to teach believers to know that serving Christ, coming to Christ, okay, and being blessed is not reserved only for a function of clothes and shoes and food and things that we have. The real blessing that is available or that's given to the believer is that his spirit is saved from eternal damnation. And that should be the thing that should give you the utmost joy all the time. Praise the name of Jesus. So, they can take your shoe, they can take your house, they can take your job, they can take your wife, they can take your children, they can do all that, but your joy must continue to be on Jesus. Amen. Nothing must be able to shake you. Uh, the story was told, uh, this is a part of, this is a part of what I was talking, I, I wanted to say, but let me just say the story. The story was told of that song, the foundation of that song, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Somebody was trying to tell the story, the foundation of the story. He said it was some guy who was an unbeliever, a Gentile, who got saved. And as he got saved, the king of the, of the land called him and says, if you don't recant this Jesus, I'm going to kill you. The man has a wife. He said, I'm going to also kill your wife, and I'm also going to kill your two children. And the man said, I have come to enjoy joy and the goodness of the Lord. I cannot deny Jesus. And so, right before him, the king ordered the man and said, shoot the children. And they shot the first child. The child began to read in pain and died. Shot the second one. And they told the man, and said, do you see? You see what I just done to your children? I'm going to do the same to you. If you don't, recant." The man said, well, I can't. Well, they took the king again, ordered and said, shoot the man's wife. They shot the man's wife to death. The wife died. The two kids have died in front of him. The man's wife died right in front of him. And the man continued to say, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back. So the king said, I think this guy doesn't know what I'm talking about. He thinks I'm kidding. Shoot him dead. And they shot him dead. As they shot him and the man was dying, and he still did not recount Jesus, the king was so humiliated and so, so touched that he made up his mind and said, whatever it is this guy has, that made me kill his two kids and he didn't flinch. That made me kill his wife and he didn't flinch. That made him be able to sacrifice his own life, then that thing would be worth believing. That was the singular experience that converted that king and that old city. The lesson there is, it is possible that life will attack your family. That things of life will attack your job or attack your things or that give you happiness physically. Nothing that the world does to attack you must make you flinch and back up Jesus. Your joy must be inexpressibly expressed and connected to him. Hallelujah. So, we have to grow our faith. What I'm trying to say is that we have to grow our belief, our new birth experience beyond, I believe God so that I can have car. And it's good to have car. I have car, a good car myself. I believe God so that I can have a wife, I can have kids, I can have a nice job, I can live in a nice neighborhood. Okay, But if only in these things we have hope in Christ, the scripture says we are such a miserable human being, set of human beings. So your joy, I want to say it again, your joy must never be on things. Jesus alone must be your joy. So Peter was saying, so concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, they searched intently and with greatest care. Amen. Verse 11 says, trying to find out, so the prophets were trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that will follow. Now, the sufferings of Christ were the pains, the difficulties, the punishment, the, the beatings, and then the ultimate crucifixion of him on the cross. Those were the sufferings of Christ. Amen. But after the sufferings of Christ, there were glories that were revealed. 
Amen. It took Christ to suffer for us to have redemption. It took Christ to die for us to have eternal life. It took Christ to sacrifice himself for us to have undying, never fading life that never perishes. So we need to understand that what we are enjoying as believers in the new birth has been bought at a very high price. That's what scripture says, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Amen. It's cost, our salvation is very costly. And we need to carry that understanding that our salvation is not, was not cheap because the Son of God is very life. That means that we are very precious to God. In fact, the Bible calls it our most precious faith. Amen. And that's why in the midst of whatever it is you go through in life, please, brothers and sisters, always enjoy the favor and goodness of God and celebrate the new birth and what Christ has purchased for you by his death and his resurrection. Is somebody help me tonight? And I say that again. Doesn't matter what life sends to you. Does not matter how much trials you go through. Never trade your salvation for anything. Say like that man. The world behind me, the cross behind me, no turning back, no turning back. Which means you have to keep going forward. May the Lord give us grace in the name of Jesus. And Bible that so they are trying to find the time and the circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointed when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that will follow. Now we are in that glory right now. We are in the glory that, is, that follows the suffering of Christ right now. Because Christ has suffered once and for all and now he has died and he has resurrected and now is glorified in heaven. Now the glory is upon this church. And that's why he's given us his spirit, his grace, his giftings, his joy, his power, his anointing, the church, apostolic gifts, prophetic gifts, people, brethren, being able to enjoy the blessings of God. So that when we worship together and we sing and we pray together, the glory of God rests upon us. Healings take place, breakthroughs take place, shackles are broken, joys fill our heart. We get encouraged, we get stabilized by God and we go forward. Those are all the results of the glory or what I say, the glories that the suffering of Christ purchased for us. Amen. Again, I want to say, this salvation that you have has come at a very, very high cost. Do not trivialize it. Now, if we understand how precious our salvation is, we will abstain from sin and we'll ask God to help us abstain from sin. Because if we know how precious our salvation is, we will not trifle with that which will compromise our faith in Christ. We will run away from it. One of my friends, you know, mentor friends, wrote something that I read today. And he's talking about, I mean, how to abstain or how to overcome moral failures or sexual immorality which is very rife today, and anybody can fall into it. We do not say to trust anybody, anybody can fall into it. You have to take some precautions. And one of the things he said is, if you feel that you are drawn to someone of the opposite sex, you know, wrongly, he says, you need to keep a five, five, fifteen miles distance, at least. <laughs> he says, always make sure you keep a fifty miles distance from whoever it is that you begin to feel drawn to. So, do not spend time with them alone. You and them alone. If not, you are going to get into moral failure. And when we fall into moral failure or we, fall, we commit what we call you know, sexual sins okay, against our spouse or against our bodies, what we are doing is we are trifling and trivializing the high cost of the blood of Jesus. Okay? We are equating the blood of Jesus to carnality and flesh and a one or two minutes of ejaculation or orgasm or whatever it is that they call it. That is what you are what you, that's what you are doing. That is how terrible it is when we leave our exalted position in the spirit where Christ is seated with, with, with us and then we leave that place and we go and join ourselves to prostitution or pornography or sin. Now, it looks good on our flesh but it cheapens our salvation. That's why everyone, they don't need to tell you, everyone must do everything to abstain from every appearance of evil. Because each time you allow it to fester, you cheapen your most precious salvation. And then you destroy the beautiful thing that Jesus Christ gave you when he suffered on the cross for your sins. Now, if if people understand the gravity of the blood of Jesus, they will run away from sin. Because what what Satan wants is for you to get locked in sin. So that it can make you 
libel and, and, and arrested by his demons. Now, in Christ, by reason of salvation, you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Far above Satan, their father. How many people understand that? Because of who you are in Christ, by reason of your salvation, you can bind Satan, their father. And tell him, I rebuke you now. While we are praying tonight, I rebuke I, I said, Satan, I rebuke you for this minute. The Lord rebuke you. I have that authority because I'm seated with Christ in the heavenly places. But guess what happened? The moment, the moment I allow myself to be seduced into sexual sin or falsehood, guess what I do? I actually travel the whole distance from the heavenly places where I'm seated with Christ and I crawl into the pit of hell and I put myself under the lordship and mastership of demon spirits so they can mess me up anyhow. That's really why sin is very terrible. Great men who have done great exploits, the moment they fall into sin, they get messed up by Satan's spirit. Okay? And then you begin to wonder, how did this person who drives devil out is now being held in bondage by demon spirits? It is because salvation is very expensive your salvation is very precious what was used to purchase you has premium quality <laughs> and we must never under any circumstance and i'm saying this to believers who are, in, who, are, who, are who live in flesh and blood you must never under any circumstance allow yourself to be brought low to becoming servant under demonic spirits because those guys will mess you up oh is that not the guy who has been casting us out is that not the guy who's been jumping over the bed and saying, I'm born again, I know Jesus, I'm a child of God. Ha! Ah, now, let's feed on him. They'll mess you up. Praise God. They'll take your health. They'll take your joy. They'll destroy your body. They'll destroy everything about you instantly. And they'll do it very quickly too. So that you don't have opportunity to repent and come back to Jesus. Because they also know that there is grace and there is room for God to forgive you and bring you back. So they quickly want to kill you. Now, when people backslide away from Christ, the next thing you have is that they, they, they died. A sickness hits them and then they die. Or they get killed by accident. Because Satan is really trying to make sure that this guy was once purchased by the blood of Jesus. Now that he has compromised and is now in my camp, I don't trust that God. He's very gracious. He may forgive him now. Before God forgives this guy, let me kill him. That's, so, that's, so that's what I have to stand up. So we must never allow ourselves okay, to become servants eating from the hands of demons. We who are kings, okay, in the court of our God. Everybody understand that? I'm just trying to let you understand because when we talk about salvation, people need to understand what salvation means. Okay, I can ride a car or I can live in a nice neighborhood. It's something that is in the heavens. It's something that positions you above spirits, above powers, above witchcraft, above Ogbanje spirit, above wizardry, above sorcery, above demons, above Satan himself. Salvation in Christ gives you that edge. Amen. Now, the Bible says this. I don't know why. I don't know who that is for. I, I didn't plan to say that, but I guess the Holy Ghost is saying to somebody here tonight. Now, in verse 12, Peter, see right now, says this. He says, it was revealed to them that they were not serving. That means it was revealed to these prophets that they were not serving themselves, but you. When they, have, when they spoke of the things that now have been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. You know, you know what I mean? I mean, your salvation makes angels great with envy. I'm telling you. That's why, number one, we don't, we don't worship angels. Because angels are our boys. They serve the saints. Angels are, you know, what, let me tell you this about, about miracles. Because many people don't understand. They just think, let me tell you how, what, what makes miracles happen. A miracle occurs when the saints, and when I talk, by now you know when I talk about the saints, I'm talking about you. Hello, people. Because some of you have Catholic understanding that I'm talking about St. Barnabas or St. Bernadette. No, when I talk about saints, I'm talking about you. <laughs> or St. Augustus. No, 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 no. When we talk about saints, we're talking about you. How many saints are in the house tonight? It's what God calls you. God calls you a saint because every time God looks down on the earth, he doesn't see your saints, he sees the blood of his son. Don't ever trivialize that. Every time God looks down from heaven above, God doesn't see your filth, he doesn't see your mistakes, he sees the blood of Jesus. And because of the blood of Jesus, you have been sanctified. You have been made holy. And so, you are living the life you now live in the spirit of that redemption. Hallelujah. 
So, we are powerful guys. Amen, people? Alright, so I was talking about miracles. Because I need to say it. Now, why miracles occur is when the saint speaks a word of prayer. Or he uses a word of decree. Or prays, fast and prays. Or reads a scripture. Or decrees a decree in prayer. The moment he speaks, there are a group of people called angels. Who will take that word and make it work. So, if you say blessing, they take that word and then they apply it to different areas of your life where there has been a curse. They break the curse. If there's a demon there, they deal with that demon. If there's a sickness there, they break that sickness. If there's a, 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 a failure principle there, they break that failure principle. Angels, that's their job. That's why you go to, you go to you, you pray and you go to sleep and then you wake up a miracle occurs. What has happened is by your issuing a word, you issue the decree because you're a saint. And by the issue of your decree, some certain elements, people, I mean, beings, take care of that word and they effect it. The Bible says they obey the voice of his word. That's how miracles occur. That's why if you want miracles to occur in your life, all you need to do is live in the liberty Christ has purchased for you. Don't touch sin. And then speak a word of decree into the heavenly places. Angels will work on them. Is that simple? It's that simple. It's a principle of victory. It's a simple of the miraculous. Praise the name of Jesus. Alright, so now you cannot imagine how these angels see you. So, angels are very jealous. If there's any, I'm angry, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't use the word jealousy because they are holy beings, alright? <laughs> but let me say, they long to see, to have what you have. Number one, you are free moral agent, they are not. They only obey command. They have to obey every command. You have a right to disobey every command, including God's command. Now, how many of you have obeyed, disobeyed God's command lately? Put your hands up. I'm not going to be angry with you. Just put your hands up. All the time. <laughs> or you do a, we do exact opposite that God said, or what God said we shouldn't do. And we get away with it because of the blood of Jesus. Now, angels can't afford to do that. The last time an angel tried that, his name was Lucifer. He got kicked out. All right. But you, the blood of Jesus, Jesus speaks for you. You disobey God, you repent. God forgives you. He sees the blood of Jesus on you. Made, made it look as if you never sinned. And then says, you are forgiven. Angels don't have that luxury. So, every time a believer walks into the city, every time a saint of God strolls into town, angels are always longing and saying, wow, those guys are going for Wednesday mission again. We wish we can really have opportunity to hear what they're hearing and to be able to enjoy what they're enjoying. My God. Now, if you see one angel, I pray that God will help you to see one angel. The smallest of them. Because some of them, some of the I mean, guys who have seen angels will tell you that some of them are like five times the height of this building. <laughs> and when they speak, everything shakes. And now these guys are hemming you. They say, my God. I just want to, can I, can I just squeeze, I wish I could just squeeze into that evening meeting and just pray like they are praying. Because angels can't pray like you are praying. Angels can't preach like you are preaching. Angels can't believe God like you are believing God. Angels don't have the choice that you have. And they wish they did. It's also one of the reasons why Stan hates you so much. Because what he tries to gain by rebellion, you gain by redemption. Without working for it. Even work so hard to get into toppling God and becoming seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And he couldn't even try. He couldn't even do it. And you, in your sin, while you are still a sinner, Christ paid the price for you. And right now, without you knowing it, you are seated, you are elevated in that position. And so, you are a king, not by your own making, but by the predetermined foreknowledge of God. That's why I want to say it again. Please do not trivialize your new birth. You are the most powerful entity in the world. (laughs) You are the most powerful. All you need to say is say a word and the world will change. I guarantee you there are angels who are waiting for you to just say a word of command and boom, they move into action. Don't forget some of these guys, some of the smallest of them are about five times the height of this building. (laughs) Yeah. And they are your boys. How beautiful is that? If that doesn't excite you, I don't know what else will. Amen. So scripture says, they long to see these things. Angels long to see these things that you see. 
So verse 13 says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Christ Jesus is revealed. Are you here with me tonight? Are you here with me tonight? Alright, let's look at our our scripture before I run through what I have for you to say. The book of Romans chapter 11. I always like to run through the scriptures because I don't trust myself not to not to read the scriptures. Amen. (laughs) Because I just like to gist around the word of God. I mean, I mean, I mean, God's word is so beautiful. You just keep gisting around the word of God and it's such such life. Alright, Romans chapter 11, verse um, 25 to 32. And this tells me a little bit, this, this gives us a little bit of insight into what the future, we've seen what the future of the Gentiles are a little bit. I'll come into that later. Now let's see what, the, let's have a peep into what the future of the Jews are. The book of Romans 11, 25. Paul writes and says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening of their heart in part until the full number of the Gentiles have come in. So there is a plan of God to harvest Gentile nations. I already told you what Gentile nations are. Amen. Anyone who is a non-Jew, even if he lives in Israel, if he's a non-Jew, if he doesn't came, if he doesn't, if he hadn't come from the lineage of Abraham, he is a Gentile. And the Bible says, so and so all Israel will be saved. Now that's the future. Last week I was talking about the future of the gospel advance. A time is going to come when all Israel will be saved. But right now, as we speak. It is the season of us, the Gentiles. And that's why we have to maximize the season. That's why we have to plant a lot of churches, run a lot of home centers, run a lot of ministry in the marketplace. Use our job. I've said it very severely. Use your job. Use your money. Use your career. Use your education. Use your opportunity to pray the gospel. Because this window is open for now. Because it is the season of the Gentiles. Before that window closes, we have to do all we can to make sure that we have as, as many Gentiles as possible. And these guys are next door. These guys are our siblings. These guys are our friends. These guys are our colleagues at work or cosmetics. And we have to go after them. Praise the name of Jesus. Why? Because the scripture says, a time is going to come when all Israel will be saved. Because it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. It will turn godlessness away from Jacob. Now I remember, the reason I'm reading this scripture was because a conversation ensued between my son and I yesterday and he was asking me this question. Very interesting. How the Holy Ghost moves things. I was trying to teach this in the church today and my son was asking me questions that bother around this. So, it was my first test, 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 test run to try this scripture on him. Amen. <laughs> Alright. And says, and this is written, this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So, a time is going to come when God will take away the sins of the Jews. Right now, they don't believe in Jesus. Okay? Even though, that's what I would say that he came to his own, John chapter 1 verse 12 to 14. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. They actually killed him. And he was sent to them. You know, the moment you understand what Jesus suffered, and we're talking about the suffering of Jesus a little bit, what Jesus suffered, that the people that you are sent to are the ones that would actually reject you. You will first of all deal with your rejection problem. Most of us have a big problem with being rejected. The people that I think that God sent me to are the ones who reject me. How many of us have felt like that before? I, I would think that if I was sent to somebody, I would be their celebrity. Is that correct? But that doesn't work <laughs> in the presence of the kingdom. He was sent to his own and they did not receive him. They rejected him. Guess who received him? The Gentiles were the ones who received him. Up till today, the Jews still don't receive him. They believe that there's a lot of conspiracy, conspiracy, conspiracy theory in Israel. Number one, that he was not the son of God. Number two, that he did not die. Number three, that in case he died and that they claimed to bury him in that tomb, while everyone was asleep at night, his disciples went and stole the body away. I'm asking myself a question. With the big stone that was used to, store, to cover his tomb, how did eight tiny guys who have been fasting, you know, Jesus always kept guy to fast. How did they have the energy to roll away the stone from them? So, these guys don't have a clue. They can't explain the resurrection of Jesus. So, they say, the average Jew says that, and it's me, he's dead here tomorrow. Jesus did not die, and if he died, they stole his body in the night, and so, he did not resurrect. All they are trying to do is to disprove the fact that Jesus actually rose away from the grave the third day, because if they accept that, that is the clincher for our salvation. That Jesus died and he rose again. That's where our salvation lies. So, they say, nobody is saved. 
because Jesus did not die raised from the grave. But you and I know, okay, from testimonies and from our personal experience in the spirit, that really some things that have happened in our life that is not of our belief in Jesus could never have happened except there is a resurrection power. That's why Bible says that same power that rose Jesus from the grave dwells inside of you. And it makes your, life, your, body, your spirit alive. Now Jews don't have that understanding. They don't believe that. <laughs> okay? But God says, when the season of the Gentiles was done, I'm going to come back to them and revisit the issue of their salvation and I will save them. Praise the Lord. But let me save the Jews, the Gentiles first. What a privilege we have, people. Don't forget again, we have to enter into that harvest quickly and read the harvest before that window of the Gentiles closed. Praise be to God. We are in the season of the Gentiles. Amen. Hallelujah. So he says, so God says, and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Verse 28. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies of the gospel on your account. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. Praise the Lord. So there's a covenant that God made with the patriarchs. He says, I will never utter this covenant. Amen. And that's why he sent Jesus also to see that covenant. So in one single day, the whole of the Jews will believe in Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, they are not very far from the, from the salvation because they already understand covenant from the days of Abraham to Noah covenant to David covenant. They understand blood. It is we Gentiles that do understand blood and covenant. That is why the real Korokoro Gentile, you give him your money, he will steal it. You commit your heart to him, he will break it. Gentiles don't keep covenants. I, I mean, don't you understand this thing? That's why one of my friends tweeted, and I, and I retweeted, retweeted it. He says, in business, there is no friend or family, only contract. What does that tell you? Don't trust a Gentile with your money. It would not happen. Now, Jews are not like that. All their life, they have understood covenants. That's why a Jew will not steal another Jew's money. That's why they have more money than every other tribe in the world. They're just 8 million people. They have the largest number of entrepreneurs in the New York Stock Exchange. Out of every 20 Israeli, there is a world-class entrepreneur. Some of the major companies of the world are owned by Jews. Alphabet, Google, Jew. A lot of them are Jews. Amazon. Those guys are everywhere. And there are very few. But they understand covenant. But you Gentiles, we have to teach you covenant in church. And even that you don't come. Hello people. <laughs> Let us teach you covenant. <laughs> you will not show up. <laughs> you won't show up. Your friend will not show up. Both of you will go and do business together and they will scam you. Jews don't do like that. They understand covenant. That when you pass through covenant, eh, you, you make yourself status to be killed. Because in covenant, there are always two parties. The weaker party and the stronger party. In, the, in that case, God is the stronger party. They are the weaker party. They understand that they are always at disadvantage when it comes to God. So they always worship God. They always believe God. Anybody understand this? But you Gentiles, my goodness. Including church folks who have not understood scripture. They don't take your money to go like that. Is that correct? And then we have to start taking it by EFCC. Can you imagine that? We have to sue you before you can, we can get our money from you. Christy, you understand what I'm talking about? We have to sue you. How can I be a brother like you in the same church? I have to sue you. It is basically because you are a Gentile. You have no understanding about covenant and you have no respect for order. As far as you are concerned, every hustle is a hustle. Jews are not like that. <laughs> Alright, so when now, I, used, I, I used all those ephemism to explain something to you. So the time that God will come to them to call them into the covenant of Christ Jesus is going to be very easy. And it will happen in just one single moment. But right now, that season we are in right now, the season of the Gentiles. If you understand what I just shared, put your hands up. If you understand what I just said right now. Okay, that's fine. Bible says, so as far as they're concerned, gospel, they are enemies of God. But as far as election is concerned, that means they are loved on account of the patriarchs. Verse 29, please. Verse 29. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. 
So the call of God on Abraham, God doesn't change it. The call of God on David is not going to change it. That's what the Bible is saying here. Okay? What God has said to the patriarchs, he will honor it. Why? Because God is the covenant-keeping God. Now, don't forget that. Amen. He's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's a covenant-keeping God. And he will honor his covenant which he made to Israel. That you will never cease from being my people. But right now, because of the salvation that is we have in Christ, we are able to jump in and enjoy the salvation until such a time when the seizing or the kairos moment of the Gentiles will close and then the Jews will come into salvation. Amen. And it will happen. So, Bible says in verse 29, verse 30, please. Just as you were at one time disobedient to God, have now received mercy as a result of the Jewish disobedience. <laughs> so, thank God they rejected Jesus. If they had accepted Jesus, there would be no... Remember Jesus spoke to one, to one woman. He said that, not come to the Gentiles, but for the Jews. For the Jews. And then when the Jews showed him and they rejected him and then the Gentiles received him. And as many as received him the scripture says he gave them power to become sons of God. And so as many people here who have received Jesus you have received what? Power. Authority. Dynamis. So you are dynamic. You are a dynamite. So remember that. That you are a dynamite. You have the dynamic power of God. And you can decree things that be established. Amen. Bible says because of their disobedience. So they too have now become disobedient in order that they may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. So now the Jews are going to come to Christ not by reason of that they are sons of Abraham by the blood covenant, but by saying we are sinners, we need to be forgiven. Not that we are sons of Abraham, but that we are sinners like all mankind and we need to be forgiven. But Bible says that our own disobedience will teach them that. Amen. Because right now, let me tell you this, the average Jew doesn't take you serious. You call yourself Pentecostal, apostolic, kingdom, charismatic, but they're looking at you and say, (laughs) they don't believe you are for real, they don't believe you are saved, they don't believe, they believe you are all not going to anywhere. Okay? But, by the time the, the deceit Dress off their face and the veil is torn from their heart. They will understand that what you have received in the mercy of God is for real. And then they will scramble to come into receiving that mercy too. And then they will be saved. Praise the name of Jesus. Do you see God's agenda? Do you see God's plan? Now I'm talking about the season of the Gentiles. So I, I, need, to, I need to explain that to you. So it says in verse 30, 32, please. For God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. What that means is nobody who is ever going to get saved will come to God at his own terms of righteousness. Whether you are Gentile, whether you are Jew. Everyone who comes to face God for salvation will have to come with a sense of God, I am a sinner. I have sinned. I have disobeyed your will. And I need your forgiveness. Including Jews. No sacrifice for sin can triplace that. No bulls, no goats, no libation, no wave offering. And the Jews have a big problem accepting that right now. If you go to Jews, they are still giving pouring libation. They are still doing bond offering. They do not accept that the blood of Jesus is enough for the salvation of mankind. They are still using turtle doves. They are still killing goats and rams. Yes. Amen. Like Islamists. Eh? Okay. Let's read they are going to kill a lot of goat and ram, believing that the blood of that goat or the blood of that ram will cleanse their sin. Okay? But you don't have to have any ram or any goat. The blood of Jesus has been shed for you for the remission or the washing away of your sin and for your redemption. The blood of Jesus is what we have. So all men will have to come to an understanding that they can never be acceptable to God except through the blood of Jesus. Which is the only provision that God made for the true salvation of all mankind. Amen. So God has bound all men over to disobedience so that they may so that He may have mercy on them all. Uh, I think that's 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 good. Okay. When you get home, I want you to read the book of Hebrews ten, verse ten to twelve. Hebrews ten, twelve, ten to twelve, the book of Luke twenty one, verse twenty four. Book of Luke twenty one, twenty four. 
in the book of Isaiah 45, verse 17. Now, let me quickly read one of them. The book of Luke 21, verse 24. Please give me that. Give me that. Let me, let me see. Luke 21, verse 24, please. Hallelujah. It says, They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, this has two connotations. This is a prophecy concerning the taking over of Jerusalem by by war, back I think eighty something, whatever it is. But that's a fiscal condition. But it's talking also about the future of of Israel's redemption. That it will happen only after the times of the Gentiles are closed up and finished. You see, so God is a God of of finishing, and God is a God of time and season. God loves times and seasons. Amen. So God sets a time and says this is the season or he calls it the time of the Gentiles. The times or the kairos moment or the appointed times of the Gentiles. He calls out a time and says this is the time of the Jews. Now for those of you I know you are Bible students, you know that God said to Abraham, Abraham I'm going to tell you something. I give you this land as a foreigner but your children will come back here to possess it. But they will go to a place where they will be where they will suffer for 400 years. They will be servants. And I'm deliberately going to make sure that they spend that number of time. Because there's something I'm planning. I want to make sure that they don't shun the process and that the timing, my plan for mankind is done. And what is my plan? There are some people called the Amorites, Evites, Jebusites, Gagashites, Canaanites. I want them to finish all their madness. And then when their sins are full. How many people remember God said that? He says, I will realize when the sins of the Amorites are full. Which means that God watches things. Sometimes people look at him and say, God, God doesn't see. God is very patient. God is very long-suffering. For God to wrap up the age, God is very strategic. So God watches. And then when, and then he had a time he has set and said, this is the time when I will say it is full. Now, that season can come at any time. It's important for you as a believer to understand that God is a God of time, God is a God of season. God is not a God of calendar. I need to understand that because when we say time, you're thinking 12 months. When we say season, you're thinking uh, summertime. <laughs> That's why you must also never let your faith be built on faith's promises. Because the season of God for you may be three years. A season in your life may be three months. And a season, maybe three days. Anybody see what I'm saying? Alright, so what is important for us as a believer is to track with God. God, what season am I in? In what season am I in right now? Am I in the season of work? Because there is a season of toil. And God tells you, just toil. Just work. But God is getting so hard. God, can't I have an holiday? God said, don't have a holiday, just work. Then a time comes when God wraps up the season of toil and it brings you into a season of respite where even if you are looking for, for suffering, you never see anyone. <laughs> Praise the name of Jesus. <laughs> Same God. Different seasons. So every child of God needs to understand the seasons of God for his life. As a church, we have entered a new season and that's why a lot of things we are designing in the church and deliberately designing a lot of things in the church because we, are, we have entered a new season and I want to capture that season. And, and this season that we are entering into is not going to be like the season we have been in for the last 18 years or thereabout. It's significant. And this door, this window, may just be open for just a short while. We want to make sure that we maximize the moment. We want to seize the moment. A believer needs to train his spirit to listen to the voice of the Lord to a point where you know what season you are in. I don't know why I'm teaching about season here, but let me talk about season a little bit before I close this meeting. When the people of God sinned against God and God told them, I'm going to take you into poor captivity, he made up a mind he was going to do for 70 years that these guys were going to be in that captive land for 70 years. Because 70 years looks like a lot. Certain prophets came and told them, guys, do not mind anybody. You are going to be here for just seven months. God says, go and tell them. I didn't say seven months. They have taken, they have stolen my 70 Sabbaths and I'm going to take it back with 70 years per Sabbath <laughs> 49 Sabbaths 
I'm going to take. I'm going to take it for every one. I'm going to take seven times. So when you multiply that, it gives you seventy years. Now, false prophets will. And I want, I'm warning you. Don't let any false prophet tell you the season you are in. You can just sow through it, or you can fast through it, because you see that's what's happening right now. People are going through things. They don't know why they are not able to get a husband. Why not they able to do well in business? Things are so hard in terms of whatever. And someone tells them, just fast 70 days. You'll be out of it in two months. And they fast 70 days. And God looks at him and smiles and says, is that what I told you? You are in a season. <laughs> Until the season is full. <laughs> and you're given all your money. You're you're done all your fasting. Your, your liver is broken because of fasting. And God said, who sent you? All I'm asking you is pray in the spirit. Listen to my word. Learn to hear when I tell you, rise up in the morning and pray. That's what I'm asking you. Learn when I say to you, okay, pick your CV right now and go to Broad Street and wait for me in the middle of Broad Street. I'll tell you who to see. And you, you do not understand how to train your spirit to hear the voice of God. You want to fast for 70 days and grieve and do 500 all nights. And so you go late to work and they fire you next morning. <laughs> Meanwhile, all you are supposed to do is God, my life is in your hand. What season am I in? Man? Am I in the seven years of harvest? Am I in the seven years of drought? <laughs> the Bible says, a wise man's heart, man, by wise man, I'm about to talk about real true believers, of course, says, a wise man's heart understands both times and seasons. Hello, people. I pray for you today. May you, may you be a designer of times and seasons. I want to pray it again. May you be a designer of times and seasons. Because you cannot shunt the season of God. Hallelujah. But you can pray through it. You can rejoice through it. You can stand in faith through it. You can go and win souls through it. A lot of people, young men who are believing God for a job, one of the reasons you don't have a job yet is God's given an opportunity to be able to source something to the kingdom of God before you get that job. Because you know that the moment you get that job, you're going to travel all over the world. You don't have that husband or that wife here because God is giving you an opportunity to be able to put something in the gospel before you get that married. Because he knows that once you get married, you are going to get pregnant the first the, the three months after. One year after, you are going to have a baby. And they are going to be twins or triplets. And your life will never remain the same <laughs> for the rest of your life. So here God is saying to you, you don't have a husband for the next one, two years. I want you to stand yourself out for me. Get involved in soul winning. Win the loss. This is the season of the Gentiles. Read the Bible. Now, some of you, you have been fired from work or you have gone to from, from school. You can't get a, a, a part-time job. It's intentional. God is trying to get you to wake up in the morning and do six hours of Bible study. Because a time is going to come when you will have such an amazing job that you'll be all over the world and you don't have even five minutes to read the Bible or to pray. It will be a struggle. So guess what? So you have all the time in the world Guess what you are doing? You are jumping on Netflix. That's what you are doing. God did not give you time. To, this is not a time for Netflix. This is a time for you to learn, to read books, borrow books from the church library or from and read books from tonight. Don't even have your bath. Don't even brush your teeth. Eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Don't brush you. Don't worry. It's too much to waste of time. Read the Bible. Pray. You have a window of seven months, and that seven months is what you are going to feed on the rest of your life. Many times people look at me and say, well, how does pastor read the Bible? How does pastor know these words? How does pastor understand scripture? How does pastor tie scripture together? Once upon a time, 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 I had no money, I had no job, I had no food. Those are the places where God taught me how to fast. I had no money, so there's no way I can jump anywhere. I was locked in door. I didn't know what God was trying to teach me to read the Bible. And to have revelation of the word of God. Because in those times it's going to come when I'll be so busy and so big that I would not have time to read the word. So all the things I'm doing right now, they are actually things that I have, God has used to keep me, to cure me when I was jobless. So I'm talking to that jobless man right now. Don't start crying and say, God, my life. Wake up in the morning, freshen up well, pray, and spend time in the word of God. Read books. Go for conferences if you can. Get sold out for Jesus. Preach to souls. Get a friend. Get a jobless friend. Or two jobless friends. You have them. You know them. Bros, are you jobless? Yes, I am. Me, I'm jobless too. Grab some tracks. 
go door to door and say, we jobless, we three jobless men. We know it is season of the Gentiles. <laughs> and this window is open for just so long. And we will get so saved. After you're doing that, it may be one year, two years, it may be six months. One of you will get a job. Another will get another job. The third one will travel abroad. That's when you will understand that the opportunity that God gave you to reach the harvest of the souls that you thought you were doing because you had no job if you knew that it was a divine setup by God. Because those things will count for you in heavens. Those things will count for you when the reward of God comes upon mankind. So I want you to understand that we need to maximize the moment, maximize the seasons in the name of Jesus. I feel like praying tonight. I feel like praying tonight. I'll continue this next week. I can even touch some of the things I'm touching. I want you to ask the Lord and say, Father, teach me about the season I'm in. Instruct me. Teach me. Holy Spirit, teach me. I want you to pray that God will help you to understand times and seasons. You need to have a different perspective. God may be taking you through a training process right now. You are in that place where you are right now. A rough patch, you call it. A slippery path, you call it. But it's a training ground. The training ground. Everywhere David turned, he was attacked by Saul. You can imagine somebody's boss trying to kill him. David cried to God every time. He wrote a lot of the Psalms in frustration. But it's one thing David did not understand. It was that God was preparing him about how to be a good leader and how to know the difference between what a bad king is and a good king is. But David could never have understood that. <laughs> as far as he was concerned, he was, he was, I was a young man hated by my boss. So by the time he became king, he had already understood what it means not to be a bad king, a bad leader. That's why he was able to govern the people. The Bible says, with the integrity of his heart and with the skill of his hands, Psalm 78 verse 72. <laughs> because he already understood what it means not to be hard, not to be a bad leader. Because he knows the, the, the repercussion of bad leaders and how bad leaders end. <laughs> he already saw it in Saul. But anyone who have understood that, it was, a training, it was a training ground for him. Many of us are in training processes. You are in the womb of training. Pray and say, Father, help me to understand the season I'm in right now and to make the most of it. Teach me never to grumble, but teach me, Father, to understand that there's a time and a season. Now, I want you to pray that God Almighty, this is the time of the Gentiles. Help me to seize the moment to get the lost saved, to get Gentile believers like myself, Gentiles, unbelievers saved. Lord, where they may be, wherever they may be, my siblings. I want you to pray right now and say, Father, all the Gentiles, and by Gentiles, I mean all those who do not have a covenant with Jesus. I want you to pray for them. For siblings, especially. Are they saved? Do they know Jesus? Your parents, are they saved? Do they know Jesus? Your cousins, your aunts, your friends, your colleagues at work, your classmates, your school friends, your flatmates, do they know Jesus? If they don't know Jesus, then they are Gentiles, they are unsaved. If they die, they go to hell. But you must never, you must never allow that to happen. How? By praying them into salvation. Ask your father, this is the season of Gentiles. And Lord Almighty, all the Gentiles around me, I pray them into salvation right now. Come and read them and say, Father God, save them. Save them from sin. Save my brother. Save my sister. Save my drunk uncle. Save my abusive brother. Save my abusive boss. Save that prostitute down my street. Save that cult boy down the road. Save that agent of Satan, Father God Almighty, that I know. Save, save that harlot, God Almighty, and that runs girl that I have condemned. But Father, I don't want to condemn her. Father God, I want you to save her. For the first time, I want you to lift your voice and pray for that Ron's girl that you know on campus. Father God might save her, save her soul. Mention her name. Call her by name or call him by name. You probably know a Yahoo Plus guy. You know he's a Yahoo Plus guy. It's a ritual killer. You know, pray for him and say, Father, save this Gentile. This is the time of the Gentile. This is the season of the Gentile. Save him. Save all the Gentiles around me. Anyone doesn't know Jesus is a Gentile. Anyone doesn't know Christ Jesus as Lord. It's a sinner and it's a Gentile and it's an unbeliever. Pray for them. Do you like them? No, you don't like them. Are they nasty to you? Yes, they are very nasty, but they are Gentiles. Pray for them. But Jesus said, pray for those who despisefully use you and even those who persecute you. So there are some of you who walk in places where you are persecuted by boss. 
persecuted by the office, pray for them. Pray for everyone in your office and say, Father, save them. For the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the seizing of the Gentiles, save them. Before this door, before this gate closes, save them. Save my brothers and sisters. Save my friends. Save my siblings. Save my aunts. Save my colleagues. Save my next door neighbor who is always making noise at night after he has smoked cocaine and whatever it is. Save him, Lord. Lord Almighty, save that wayward girl down the road. Save that girl who is always clubbing on Friday night. Save her, Lord Almighty, for the sake of the gospel. Because of the season of the Gentiles. Before this season closes, before this gap closes, save them, Lord. Come on, thank God and say, Father, thank you for saving them. Thank you for Come on, let's thank God for saving them. Let's thank God for saving our siblings, our friends, our brothers and sisters, our colleagues at work. We need, to, we need them saved. We need to get them saved. It's our job. It's our responsibility to get them saved. Acts 16.31 says, Believe, and you will be saved. You are your household. And we're taking this very seriously. We're taking the salvation of mankind very seriously. This is the season that God has put in our church. That's the emphasis of this season. That's what I've been teaching for since January. If you notice, it's the season... I've never thought like this before on this subject. But this is the season for our church. And we want to reap the harvest of this season. And we want to obey the voice of the Lord. Because God has spoken to me, I've heard his voice, and I'm speaking his mind out. And thank you, Father God, for this privilege to speak your mind and to understand what you are saying in this season. Help us, Father, to be accurate and to hear you and to obey you in our mind and to do what you ask us to do. Thank you for saving everyone around us and bringing them to the knowledge of Jesus. We give you praise because Lord Almighty when the trumpet shall sound and you will come for your own, we will not be left wanting. Our reward shall be great indeed. Because you will give unto us the crown of glory. We thank you Father. We thank you Father. Thank you for this evening. Thank you for all the saints here who have listened to, who have listened to me. Thank you for the privilege to hear this word that you have given to us Father. We will never take it for God the Father. But we will do something with the Father. We will bring the harvest of the earth that is ripe into your banner, into your ban under your feet. We thank you and bless you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Do you love Jesus tonight? Are you blessed? We hope you heard the voice of the Lord through the message that you just heard. For further inquiries about other helpful resources and counseling, please visit us at the Capstone Church Without Walls or call 080-2318-2030. You can email helpdesk at thecapstoneonline.com. Thank you so much for listening. May God bless you indeed.